hello again. I mean, really. Let's go straight into our scripture for today. It comes from Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. It's a familiar verse for those of us who have been coming to church or have ever been to church before on this particular day. It's the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told, them to do, had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David." Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Friends, please join me in centering our hearts and our minds and asking for God's guidance and wisdom. Holy Lord, we are... Grateful that you still come to meet us as gently as you did that first Palm Sunday. We are grateful that you have us surround you. Sometimes we understand the place that you are calling us toward, and other times we think we understand and we don't. And yet it is not by our understanding that you would be near us, but by your love alone. Lord, please give us some of your wisdom, some of your insight. As we come to your scripture today and as we consider what it means for us, not just as individuals, but as a body of faith, help us to see you even through our distractions, our anxieties, even through our worries, our fears, even through our disinterest, Help us to be people who are sparked by your spirit. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, today is the final Sunday in Lent, the final Sunday of this six-week season where we as Christians are called to intentionally participate in preparing our hearts for Easter Day, for the Resurrection Day, By making space in our spirits and by making space in our lives for silence, by engaging more deeply in spiritual disciplines, and by considering more seriously what it means to be gifted with grace, what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be 
unbound from all of the things that press in to bind our souls each and every day. So throughout this season of Lent, over these last six weeks, as part of centering ourselves on this journey toward Easter, we here at San Marino Community have been looking at the six great ends or the six great purposes of the church, which you can find on the inside of your order of worship today. And we've been considering together how we are called, not as individuals, but as a unified body of faith, how we are called to proclaim the gospel for the salvation of humankind, how we are called to provide shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God, how we are called to maintain divine worship, to preserve the truth, to promote social justice, and then today, how we are called as a church to exhibit the kingdom of heaven to the world, which works out really, really well for us today. Because there is perhaps no better story in all of scripture, Christian scripture, to illustrate the kingdom of heaven as it interacts with the kingdom of earth than our scripture passage for this morning. For those of us who have been around the church for a while, today, this Sunday before Easter, is known as Palm Sunday. It's the day where we remember this story in Jesus' life where Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, where he will soon have his last meal, where he will be betrayed, where he will pray and beg for his life to be spared, before eventually being hung on a cross and being laid in a borrowed tomb. The way that the church has remembered this day is very much like how we have remembered it today. We each take a palm. Who has a palm? Let's see it. Come on now. There we go. Look at those palms waving. That's pretty impressive. So we all take our palms and we wave them much like we are right now. Thank you. We take a palm as a reminder of the palms that were once laid in front of that processing Christ. And in many churches, as in our church today, the children, they wave their palms with a very enthusiastic Natalie leading them in circles, showing us this parade in a processional that's intended to remind us of that hopeful last processional that Jesus made into Jerusalem. Today, we even had a real live donkey assisting us in worship today. And I got to tell you, for me, that's a first. And that's saying a lot when you consider that I spent the last five years in West Texas. But I also have to tell you, my friends, I, I have always have real issues with how the church traditions are shaped around Palm Sunday. And I'm not about to say that they're not meaningful, and I'm not saying that they're not valuable, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be as they are. I'm saying that I have issues. Because when we read this scripture, there is something about Palm Sunday for me that is deeply foreboding and almost cruel in its contrast from a parade through a crowd's hosannas this week to the jeering of that exact same crowd only five days from now on Good Friday. Today, we look at the children and smile in their joyful innocence as they parade with their palms, which is an innocence that reflects 
the hope and the joy of that first Palm Sunday about 2,000 years ago, yes. But 2,000 years ago, it was not the hope and joy of children back then when it was Jesus of Nazareth on that donkey. Back then, it was the hope and the elation of adults who were dancing in those streets. Adults who had had enough of the status quo and who were daring to hope, perhaps for the first time, that they would soon be free of the oppression in their lives. Because today, their Messiah had finally come. Friends, I know that for many of us here who have fond memories of making palm frond crosses in Sunday school as children, there is a really warm nostalgia of joy and freedom on Palm Sunday, and that is a right and a valid feeling. Hang on to that. And, and, Palm Sunday is also the cold open for a horrific plot where an innocent man is plotted against and killed at the glee of the same crowd that ushers him in with admiration into town today. The crowd that ushers Jesus into Jerusalem today is also the crowd that ushers him in to his death. And believe me, I know. Jeez, Jessica, why do you have to get so dark? I get it. But I'm not going to apologize for it, because all I've said is true. But I will also say that I am grateful for how this irony in our story of Palm Sunday is written into the scripture. It was always intended to be there. I'm grateful for it because the truth is also that the God who called each of us here today is the same God who called Jesus into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Is the same God that called that crowd there that first Palm Sunday to shout Hosanna five days before they shouted crucify him. This same God that called us, that called them, that called Christ is the God that has a neck for as the Eastern Orthodox Church will say on Easter, this God has a knack for trampling death by death. And so while we can see in this story a bit of cruel irony in the timeline of Jesus' last days, we can also see in this story the kingdom of heaven on earth. We see in this story a glimpse of Jesus making it on earth as it was in heaven. And we also see a hint of God's unusual sense of humor in revealing it all to us. And so I understand that perhaps we're wondering what might be funny about Palm Sunday, particularly given all of what we've just been talking about. But one of my New Testament professors, Cliff Black, explained it really well. He says this. He, he's an expert in Mark. He says, I come bearing witness that Mark's gospel is a hilarious book. Yes, Mark, that somber story of the suffering Messiah. But Mark's is a wry, understated humor whose recovery relies partly on its discipline of careful and patient 
reading. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. Because one of the things that Dr. Black reminded us about is that underlying this particular passage, underlying this story of Palm Sunday, is another story that would have been very well known to the people in ancient Israel, to the people in Jesus' time. It's a story that you could call Hail the Conquering Hero. And it was a real story that had played itself out in different cultures, in many different contexts, including in the ancient Jewish culture. In the book of Maccabees, which for us is an apocryphal book in the Hebrew Bible, but it's also the book where the uh, holiday of Hanukkah comes from, in the book of Maccabees, there's this well-known story about the return of Judas Maccabeus. And he's returning to Israel following this triumphant massacre. And in this ancient Jewish literature, even though the details of the story change a little bit, the format is 100% predictable. Amid these cheering masses of people, there's a military victor who enters the city on this valiant steed and then offers a magnificent thanksgiving sacrifice at the religious shrine. This tale that is in that story, that book of Maccabees, is a tale that was familiar to Mark's audience, but it was also familiar to the Romans, to the Greeks, to others outside of Judaism, because this was what you did when you won. It wasn't uncommon for the victorious leader to ride through the streets of his hometown and be met by a parade. It's the exact same concept that we use for the 4th of July parade that we have here with children on bikes, right? And also when we have um, prominent sports teams that win a cup or a pennant or a trophy or something, uh, you know, we will shut down our roads for a parade because we, just like people in ancient times, all of us understand that a parade is to celebrate victory. We know how to celebrate victory. And that's what Palm Sunday is, right? At the end of the day, it's a parade intended to celebrate a victory. But in the words of Dr. Black, he says this, Mark takes this common story of the victorious parade and twists the story into a pretzel. There's no blood on Jesus' sword. Jesus doesn't carry a sword. Jesus rides in not on champion the wonder horse, but on somebody's ass, his words, not mine. The crowds do not hail him as the son of David, as they do in Matthew, or as the king who comes in the Lord's name, as they do in Luke, or even as the king of Israel, as they do in John. Mark plays his card at the story's end, where we expect our hero, Jesus, to do something very dramatic, like in all of those other stories where he ends the parade at the temple. So now it's time for the general to head to the shrine and to offer the sacrificial thanks to God for having slaughtered hundreds and become the victor. And Mark starts the story off right. He says, then Jesus entered Jerusalem. Yes. And then he went into the temple. Okay, here it comes. And, says the scripture, when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, 
He went out to Bethany with the twelve. He left. What? Right? That's not what the ancient audiences are expecting to see. That's not what we're expecting to hear. We and the crowds of his day expect Jesus to march into the house of the Lord and to do that religious thing. But instead, what we get is Jesus the tourist looking the place over and then saying to his buddies, well, it's late, let's pack it in, fellas, and going home. What would the 12 make of that? What would those exuberant multitudes of crowds make of that? Do they then just go and pick up their palms and all of their coats and shrug and say, well, I guess the party's over? Dr. Black ends his analysis with this. He says, the comedy is there. It was always intended to strike you as funny. The comedy is there not for its own sake, but to lower our defenses long enough for the truth to get through. This Jesus, whom we think we know, is not your everyday liberator. He doesn't act the way he's supposed to. So judge him by ordinary conventions of what God's anointed should be and do, and you will get Jesus wrong every single time. The joke is on us. And the joke is on us because you see, my friends, Palm Sunday is a primary example of the kind of worship that we love. We love the people being gathered around and ruffling their tree branches and shifting to take off their coats and calling out and shouting to Jesus and cheering and applauding one another, celebrating. We love feeling like winners. They were there to celebrate a Messiah, and they knew how to do that well because that Palm Sunday celebrating a Messiah is fun. And they were not wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. Come to rescue God's people. But this time, he didn't come to rescue them from national oppression. He didn't come to rescue them from Rome. Jesus didn't come to make them winners. Rather, he came to rescue them from their isolation that occurred from them standing behind the facades of themselves of who they wanted to be rather than who they were. He came to rescue them by revealing his very self, by showing them his heart, to reconcile with them and to remove the distance of that expansive gap between God's infinity and humans' finiteness. Some say that's why he came riding on a donkey instead of riding on a horse, because back then kings also would ride horses to signify that they were going to war or returning from war. But they rode donkeys to show that they were coming in peace. Any war that God was going to wage was never going to be against God and Rome. God didn't come for war against Rome God came in peace for his people. Friends, we know how victory looks and feels here in our everyday lives. It feels like being a winner. It feels like taking pride in our achievements. 
It feels like feeling secure in our way of doing things. That's what victory looks like and feels like in the kingdom of this world. But that's not what victory looks like and feels like in the kingdom of heaven. And in order to understand that, all we have to do is look at Jesus riding on a donkey, a man being cheered toward his slaughter, a man who lost so badly that he lost his life. The truth is the kingdom of heaven on this earth, it looks foolish. It's a grown man riding on an ass. It's a parade en route to the cross. It's all the pomp and circumstance of religion traded in for dinner with his friends. If we are called as the church to be people who exhibit the kingdom of heaven into this world, then we need to remember what the kingdom of heaven values. And my friends, it's not being a winner. It's not succeeding. It's not feeling secure and good about ourselves and our achievements. It's everything the opposite of that. Being vulnerable, coming to close the spaces that exist between us, taking off those facades that we hide behind, revealing to one another that we're all imposters at times, and then embracing one another in the midst of that, not despite of it, but because of it. That is what Jesus Christ came riding in on that donkey to do, to embrace us. If we want to exhibit that into the world, may we go out and embrace one another. If you will, please pray with me. God, we ask that as we come into this holy of holy weeks, that we will be people who keep our eyes focused on your coming kingdom. A kingdom that you say through scripture is already here. And even though we look and we strive and we try and see where it might be, God, you through Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is within us. May we pay attention to that kingdom that speaks to our hearts in times that are convenient and in times that are very inconvenient. And may we be people who go out and display the vulnerability, the foolishness, and the loseriness of the kingdom of heaven on earth. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.